bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. We're in the middle of a series uh, looking at the life of David. We've titled this series, um, A a People of God After the Heart of God. And we've looked uh, chapter by chapter about this man David and how he's dealt with certain things and how God has opened doors for him. And we've really looked throughout how David is what... Uh, the, the scholars say is the, the, the pre-Christ, if you will. We look to David, not as ourselves, but we look at David as who Christ is and the accomplishment of all that David did points us to a, a much bigger David, Jesus Christ. And you know, up until this point in this story of the life of David, uh, it's said over and over about David that he had great success. Remember, he uh, was in the field with his father, and the, the presence of the Lord was on David even as a young boy, and he had great success even as a shepherd boy. Remember, he killed lions and he killed bears with his own hands. I'd say that's great success. And then he's called in, he's called in by his father to go and check on his brothers, and he goes and slays the giant. It says he had great success. And Then we see again, and we looked last week, about Saul becoming very angry at David because of all the success that David was having. And and it says that he had great success because why? The Lord was with him. And so everything up until this moment in the life of David is going great. And we looked last week. The turning point begins to happen for David. Like at this moment, David's becoming famous throughout all the land. All the people are knowing who David is. And he's, the, the, the rise of David is happening. And Saul is livid. If you remember, Saul tried to kill David twice with a spear. And then we come to this next few chapters. I'm going to try to cover three chapters today. I, I promise. I w- we won't be here after lunch. I promise. Uh, I'm going to get us through it, I promise. But I want to look this morning at how do we deal with grief. Because in this story, from this moment on, David is going to lose everything until he becomes the king. David becomes a fugitive. He loses everything in his life. Then I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that season of life and it just seems like things are going well and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under your legs? Am I the only one? And and you wonder yourself, how can this be and how am I ever going to deal with grief? How do I deal with loss? How do I deal with sadness? Because if you're anything like me, all I want to do is crawl in bed and take the covers and fling them over my head and hope it just goes away. Again, am I the only one in the room? But we're going to look at 
this young man, David, and how he deals with grief. I want to look first at what all that David lost. The bulk of our time will be in Psalm chapter 34. I'll get there, so don't turn there quite yet, but I'll be in Psalm 34. I want to look at the things that David lost. All the success David is having. Remember that David has been put into this high position. Right? He was a shepherd boy in the fields, and all of a sudden, Samuel comes and anoints him as king, and then a few uh, hours later, it says that Saul has this wicked spirit come upon him, and that then they say, hey, I know a guy that knows how to play some music that can calm your soul. And, and Saul says, send for him and bring him into my house. And then we see that along the way, David begins to have position. He slays the giant, and then in slaying the giant, even though it was a wicked thing of Saul, Saul puts him in charge of all the armies. He's not even old enough to go to war yet, and Saul puts him in a place of position. And then you see all the people that came around David to support David. Remember that he slings and kills the giant, and part of the reward that he gets for killing the giant is a wife, and he, the first wife, David's like, I don't, I don't really like her, but I love Michael. And so him and Michael, they have union, and they get married, and she loves him with all of her heart, the Bible says. That she adored David. That every time that she looked at David, there's this adoration that came upon her. And then we talked about also the friendship that he had with Jonathan his best friend. That they, their souls were knit together. That Jonathan loved them as himself. And we just saw that, that uh, Jared read over, that he, they wept together. There's this bond that these two men had together. And then the relationship that David had with Samuel, the prophet. Could you imagine that being your counselor? I'm a counselor, and Samuel puts me to great shame. I mean, that was a wise man. And a prophet, what the thing with prophets in the Old Testament, they really did have a direct line with God. Like, they, if they had a phone, they could pick it up, and they could literally talk to God. Like, that guy was a wise man, and he led David wisely. And the other thing that we see about David that he had, and this isn't a bad thing, but there was a pride that David had about himself. We see that in 1 Samuel 18, 15. That everywhere that David walked, people could see that there was something different about David. That's a pride, that's a godly pride that David had. And I wonder for you and for me this morning, when you think about all the mercies in the grace that God has given to you, what I read before, your spouse, your friends, your position, all those things are, are gifts from God. I don't deserve Jenny, but she's a gift from God. I don't deserve Tennyson and Cedar. They're gifts from God, and they matter to me a lot, and they're part of my support system. And I think about my friends. I, I think about the church. And all these things that God 
graciously gives to us are gifts from him. They mattered to me, and I believe these people, these things mattered to David. But then in a moment, in a moment, God takes them from David. And maybe you've experienced that. Like David, the moment that it began to unravel for David, they didn't wake up that morning and think to themselves, this is going to be the day that all my life is going to fall to pieces. But we see in a moment that all of David's life begins to fall to pieces. He becomes a fugitive on the run. He, remember, he had already left his home because Saul said to David, hey, come and live with me. So he leaves his home and goes and lives with Saul, and now Saul wants to kill him. Turn with me to Psalm. I'm going to look at the things, all those things that God had placed in David's life to support him and to give him encouragement in a moment. All of those are gone. Because he becomes a fugitive. The first thing we see David lose is his position. Psalm 19, verse 8 and 9. Though God had been given David success as he'd gone out to war and was killing even more of the Philistines, it says, and, and there was a war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them down with a mighty blow so that the Philistines fled from him. Verse 9. Then the harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he escaped him. So that he struck the spear into the wall. This is the third time that Saul's attacking David with a spear. And David fled and escaped that night. And we're going to see that night, he never goes back into the courts of Saul. He runs from Saul for the rest of Saul's life. He's fleeting from the presence of Saul. He loses everything. Remember, he's in the kingdom, and all that the kingdom saw, it's, it's all yours. He was like Jonathan, and he loses it because of his success. That's the first thing. He loses his position, his home. And then we see he begins to lose these important people in his life. Go down to 19, verse 11. Remember, David flees from the presence of Saul. David runs to his house to be next to his wife. And he begins to have this conversation with his wife. Uh, you can read it later, but the conversation, hey, your dad's a, a lunatic and he's trying to kill me. Help me. And him and Michael, they love each other with all their hearts. And, and Michael said, I'll do anything for you. Here, let's do this. We're going to pretend like there's someone in the bed and I'm going to lower you down out of the house and you can flee and you can escape. And so that's what her and David do and we'll see he never has a solid relationship with his wife 
after that moment. He doesn't really see her again until he becomes the king. He lost his wife. Could you imagine that moment? And maybe many of you have. And I keep thinking as I read the text, what is God doing? Like, God knows the worst for David is yet to come. And as you read the passage, the, the worst, he's going to flee for his life, and Saul's going to go after him the rest of his life to kill David. And in my mind, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why would you take his support system from him? This is the time he needs it even more than he needed it when he had success. Anyone ever thought that in their mind? God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me, God? So he loses his bride, who he adored and loved dearly. Let's skip to chapter 20. Chapter 20, David flees and finally comes to Jonathan and says to Jonathan, hey, look, I I just told your sister that your dad's a madman and he wants to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, that, that can't be right. And David says to Jonathan, no, no, I promise there's always going to be one step between me and death because of your dad. And then Jonathan and David have this conversation. And Jonathan says to David, hey, I I promise that's not going to happen, but I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. But if he doesn't want to kill you, I promise I'm going to come back and say that to you. And many of you know the story. That he tells David to go and hide behind the rock. And if his dad's going to kill him, the, the man with the, the arrows are going to shoot beyond. And then David will know that his dad really does want to kill him. And then we just read that Jared read over us. There's the moment that they come to the field and they both have that awakening moment. Like, yeah, my dad's out to get you. He's out to kill you. And remember what Jared read to us. Verse 40 and 42. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed each other and they wept with one another. And David wept the most. What what are they weeping about? They're weeping because they know their friendship is about to be different they know they're about to lose one another the companionship they know that Jonathan knows I I can't keep doing this with him and be over here with my dad and David knows that too David knows I'm gonna have to keep running for my life and Jonathan you can't run with me they weep and they kiss each other Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord. They made that covenant that we talked about a few weeks ago. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went to the city. That friendship would never be the same. It's only recorded one other time that Jonathan gets to see David in the Bible. 
And it's again, Jonathan, to say, David, you better keep running, brother. Because my dad's out to get you. These were best friends. You see, in that short amount of time, he loses his position, he loses his wife, he loses his friend, and now we're going to see that he loses Samuel. Verse, turn back to chapter 20. It says, David fled and came before this chapter 20, verse 1. Here's Saul, Samuel, and David. They, they go, and they're talking, and they basically say, Samuel says, I can't keep walking with you any longer. And Samuel departed from David. And again, according to the Bible, David never sees Samuel again. Do you see that short window? He had all this support. And in this short amount of time, God and his sovereignty removes all of it. Like, what, what are you doing, God? And is anyone here this morning wondering that? Is anyone here this morning dealing with grief that you just can't wrap your head and heart around? Is anyone here still asking God, why, why have you taken this from me or taken him from me or taking her from me? And I would tell you this and submit this to you. Please ask that question for as long as you need to ask the question. But ask it in light of Psalm chapter 34. Here's how we deal with grief. So here David is. David then loses his mind. I, I forgot to get to that one. Lo loses his pride. He goes to, uh, he's fleeing and fleeing and fleeing. And he goes into the, the enemy's camp, the Philistines' camp. Because they don't know where else to run. And then they recognize that it's David, the warrior that killed their champion, Goliath. And they say, aren't you David, the one that killed Goliath? And then in David's mind, he says, man, I better look like a madman. He starts drooling on himself and starts clawing at the gate. Like he loses his dignity. Like people are like, eh, David, what? He lost his mind. He lost everything. And so when they recognize who David is, David flees again. And this, this chapter of Psalm 34 is David's all alone. He's lost everything, and he's sitting in a cave. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave. And I'm terrified of the dark. And they didn't have electricity back then. That is a dark, damp, cold, lonely place and there David was all by himself no wife no friend no counselor no family no support system God had taken it all from him 
Let me say that again. God took it from him. And we've got to ask the question, God, what are you doing? If you're sovereign in control of all of this, God, what are you doing? I think one of the things that God does so often in our lives is he takes the things that are most precious to us to reveal, do we love the creation more than the creator? The things that are taken from us. And if God takes them from us, and he's sovereign in control, then he must be exposing something in us that he wants to deal with in us. And David gets that in Psalm 34. And I want to look at how David, how does David respond to God when God seemingly takes everything from him? The first thing that we see, I want to read this passage to us. Remember the picture, David is in a cave by himself. My mind's eye says he's sitting on a wet, damp floor with tears rolling down his face, having that same discussion that many of us have. What are you doing, God? Help me, God. Help me sort it all out because I can't sort it out. And then David gets to this place. The first way that David deals with his grief and his loss and his sorrow is this. He will praise the Lord. Remember, he's sitting on the floor. And he says this, I will praise the Lord. Catch this part. At all times. At all times, God, as I'm sitting here on this wet, damp floor, I will praise your name. When it doesn't make sense to me, God, I will praise your name, God. His praise shall continue to be on my mouth, meaning I will always praise God even when it doesn't make sense to me. I'll praise you, O God. Verse 1. Verse 2, he gets even deeper. David says to him, My soul makes boast in the Lord. In his grief, he's going to boast about the things of God. Let the humble hear and be glad. Verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord within me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, praise the Lord. The first way we deal with grief is do we praise the Lord? That's a hard one. That's a difficult one for me to wrap my mind and head around. I will praise God in the midst of my loss. I'll praise God in the midst of my sorrow. I'll pray God in the midst of my, you fill in the blank. But David says, you want to deal with grief? Praise the Lord. The second thing he says is, in my grief I will remember God's protection. Verses 4 through seven i sought the lord and he answered me in your loss in my loss do i seek the lord 
and I'm really crying out to God. Because then the promise is this. He answered me. Delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be put to shame. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. That's God's protection. In the midst of your grief, in the midst of your sorrow, you cry out to God and the promise of God says this, I am there with you and I will deliver you out of it and through it. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but the promise of God is this, I will deliver you in your sorrow. That's God's protection on us. God knows, we're going to see in a moment, God knows the brokenhearted. And if you're brokenhearted, you need protection. Because there's no other place in my life than when I'm brokenhearted that I'm most vulnerable to sin, to wickedness, to depravity, to discouragement, to you fill in the blank. When I am brokenhearted, I need God's protection. And David says, oh, you are my great protector. David then says this, you deal with grief through God's praises, through God's protection, and through God's provision. Verses 8, 9, and 10. The provision of God is this. Oh, taste and see that God is good. That's the provision of God. Not that God's going to give you anything, but you taste and see that God is good. That's the provision of God. That you can delight yourself in the goodness of God in the midst of your sorrows. That we would taste and see that God is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, you have no lack. That's the provision of God. He protects you, and in his protection, he gives you everything that you need to deal with your sorrow. You lack nothing in your sorrow, is what God's word says. The hungry lions suffer and want and are hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let me read that again. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's the provision of God. The God, we continue to praise Him. He protects us and He provides for us in our sorrow. Verses 11 through 17 is God's promises. It's really found in verse 17 it says when the righteous cry for help you see the next few words what does it say when the righteous cry for help what he hears and delivers that's a promise from God 
It doesn't say he might do this, he could do this, he's apt to do this. He says, no, he will do this in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain. He will deliver us. You cry out, there will be deliverance. That's the promise of God that we can hold to. I think the linchpin of this passage is verse 18. I think this is where many of us falter. Many of us can't believe this verse in 18. One of the ways we deal with grief is to remember that God is what? Present. Verse 18, he says, what? The Lord is where? The brokenhearted. Near the brokenhearted doesn't mean near like here to Smyrna. That means like here. He's in our midst. He's sitting with us. He's with you, Frank. He's been with you. He's been with Teresa this whole time. He hasn't left you. He's been right there walking with you through this grief. He's near the brokenhearted. And yet our mind and Satan attacks us and say, God is nowhere to be found. Like Satan attacks us by saying, he's nowhere. If he was there, this wouldn't have happened. But the truth of God is, no, God is there. That's why it did happen. God is near the brokenhearted, it says. And what? He saves. He saves, Frank, the crushed spirit. He's not only near the brokenhearted, but he saves. He gathers up and he saves and protects those who are crushed. And I think that's why this is the linchpin verse of this passage. Because if we really believe that God is near and God saves, and we'd say, oh yes, I'll praise God forever. Oh yes, God provides forever. Oh yes, God protects forever. Do we believe that God is present in our grief? Because he is. That's the truth of God. And then it says this. How do we deal with grief? We are reminded of the Lord's perseverance or the the Lord's preservation. 19 through 22. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And does not grief and sorrow and loss feel like affliction? To who? The righteous. But what does the Lord do? He delivers them out of all of them. Every crushed spirit you have, every crushed relationship, every crushed hope, every crushed desire, He delivers you out of all of them, He says. He keeps all of His bones. Not one of them is broken. Afflictions will slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And here is the passage. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. And church, I ask the question this morning. Because here's the truth. All of us have dealt with grief. 
And if we're all honest, I would believe all of us still in some way, even this morning, are dealing with some grief. Some lost hope, some lost desire, some lost you person, some lost you fill in the blank. That if you really got honest, that you're here this morning and there's this grief in you, there's this pain in you, that you just would go away. But God says it may never go away, but the promise is I will be the one that will stay with you throughout all the pain. And I will deliver you. Now that deliverance may not be ever taking the pain from you. Here's the beauty, here's the great beauty of grief and sorrow. The great beauty of grief and sorrow is this. It shows us what matters to us. It shows what we value in life. That relationship that's gone, you weep over it and you continue to weep over it. It always reminds the heart and the mind, I valued that person. Grief and sorrow are a gift from God. And yet Satan whispers to us in our ear and says, oh no, it's not. If God loved and cared for you, he wouldn't want you to go through this. Well, how do we know that grief and sorrow matters to God? We look at his son Jesus. Grief and sorrow mattered to him. John 11, one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, dies. And you remember what it says. In the death, They run to him and say that Mary and Martha both run to Jesus and say, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus said, no, no, it was going to happen because it was for the glory of God that it had to happen. And then Jesus walks to the tomb. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the death. And yet it says in John 11, 35, that Jesus wept. He valued that man in the tomb. And he wept, it says, over Lazarus. And then, out of his grief and out of his sorrow, is what calls and called Lazarus out of the tomb. Because it matters to God. And so the truth is this, this morning. That your grief and your sorrow for whatever you have lost matters to God. And it's exactly what Jesus said. It's for the glory of God. I don't know how it works. I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't know how my dad's suicide matters to God and brings glory to God. I just have to stand on the truth of God. That's what God says, and therefore I'm going to do everything I can to believe the truth of God. And in those moments I don't believe that truth, I'm going to praise God, just like we were saying this morning, though he gives and takes away. I'll bless your name. You see, that was what David did. That's how David had a heart after God. And we said from the beginning that we want to be a people of God after the heart of God. Therefore, we must deal with our grief with God. Let me pray for us this morning.
God, I know that there are brokenhearted people here this morning, myself included. But God, I pray that we would be a people that would stand by your promise here in Psalm 18, or 34 of 18. Lord, you are near all of us, the brokenhearted. And you save the crushed spirit. And so God, I pray for us this morning that this would be a time that we'd cry out to you in our pain and our agony and our frustration. I pray that it would be true what we sang. Though you give and take away. Oh, bless the Lord. Now, I know in our bulletins it says we're going to sing another song, but I'm going to ask Jared that we sing that song, and then uh, if he then lead us in the last song. So we're going to do two songs to end this morning. Let's go before the Lord and search our hearts to say, can these words be true? Though you give and take away, I will bless the Lord.